Hello, welcome along to uh, the latest episode of The Gist. More... <laughs> what are you laughing at already? I'm just laughing because I ruined the intro before this. Brilliant. As, as, <laughs> as usual, being professional as we ever are. Hello, welcome along to uh, the latest episode of The Gist. We are delighted to say that today we are joined by uh, none other than Heidi Dawson. Hi, Heidi. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me along. Very, very, uh, you're very, mm. very welcome. Um, Heidi, just for the listener's benefit, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Ooh. So I'm a coach and therapist um, and people always ask me, who my clients are and basically my clients are people and I work with people at whatever, wherever they need to be worked with um, in, in their um, in their headspace. So I'm a coach, therapist and equine facilitated learning practitioner. Um, I work with individuals, organisations. Um, we cover things like leadership and team development and mental health and well-being so a whole raft of different things um but the common theme is definitely people working with people i like that yeah i like that a lot and just for the the kind of naive of us because there are definitely me what is an equine facilitated learning Practitioner. Practitioner. Sorry, yes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. There's a lot of words in there. I just, uh, yeah. What is that? So it's different things to different people. Okay. Um, but basically, for me, it's pulling my coaching and therapy skills together and um, working with clients in a, a very different way through interactions with horses. Okay. So the, there's no riding or anything involved. Both feet are definitely very firmly on the ground. Um <laughs> But it's looking at how our energy and emotions impact, I suppose, on relationships with ourselves and with others, and then looking at how we manage that to to get real positive outcomes in in whatever scenario we're looking at. Yeah, nice. Because that's, that's like a real passion of yours, isn't it? Horses. Yeah. Um, yeah. How long has that kind of been for since? Well, it's a, a childhood passion, but I did have. Um, over 20 years where I didn't have anything horsey going on in my life at all. Okay. Um, and bizarrely, it was a really horrendous accident that got me back into horses and led me down the path that brought me to doing what I'm doing now. Um, oh, so, wow. so it was quite a, a weird turn of events. I almost suppose. like you came, you came full circle around it, almost, if it started in childhood, disappeared, and then you got led back to it through one route or another yeah and you've yeah. sort of found your your space if you like absolutely and um the accident i had led me to to start having some some more regular riding as you do when you've just been airlifted to hospital <laughs> <laughs> and and then it just happened that the place i went for my riding lessons the guy who was my riding instructor was into natural horsemanship um, kind of in its very early forms and so we started looking much more at relationship um, and then around the same time all sorts of weird things like little messages kept popping into my into my awareness via via facebook and email i came across the horse boy 
um, and um, various other things, um, practitioners, um, EFL practitioners in the States, randomly getting newsletters from them. And it got from being something that was just kind of whispering at me to something that was shouting at me and I couldn't mm. ignore it any longer. Mm. Um, so, so when in the late 2000s, um, everybody who had been made redundant in the kind of 2008 era mm. all decided that they could be coaches. I thought, right, okay, I need to do something. <laughs> too many coaches. <laughs> something different. I know, I've got too many coaches. And then, I know, <laughs> I love the place like a rat. Um, and then the all this stuff about working with horses for personal development, just it became such a loud voice that mm. I couldn't ignore it any longer. Mm-hmm. So 2010 was when it all happened. <laughs> nice. I think there's a lot of a lot of people that just like um, you know animals are one of those things where you know if you, people take dogs for walks, don't they? Or yeah. you, you you know it's been proven that if you stroke your cat or if you you know you you're kind of one on one with an animal, it can relax you. Mm-hmm. Um, that that same type of thing. Uh, I, I think one of the things that I really like that you said to me before about horses was about how they you know they they live in the present and they haven't got any of that shit going on in their brain that we have all the time it's just very much they live in the present and they connect to emotions as they are and how they exist there in that moment and nothing else that's and that's that's actually how they keep themselves safe because they're um they're prey animals um so if they were off with the fairies contemplating what they were having for tea um, rather than being present and in the moment, then the the wolves and mountain lions would be in there and, and take them out. So they can't afford to to be distracted with thoughts. Um, they obviously they have a thought and acknowledge it, but then they let it go, which is what we try to do when we're talking about mindfulness. It's it's mm. not getting sucked down into the story of the thought that we're having. It's acknowledging it and letting it go. So how does that work with, and I, I, I want to get onto the topic talking about mental health in general, but in terms of how does that work then in terms of facilitating that learning and using the the horses essentially as a, a catalyst for personal development? How, how does that work between people and horses in that sense? Like, I think because the horses are, are reading the energy in the environment around them and all our emotions generate energy, which, surprise, surprise, is not contained within the shell of our body. It filters out. Mm -hmm. So the horses feel our energy and emotions um, and respond to it. So they're letting us know how we're being around them in a really non-judgmental way. They're just being horses. It's a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But then if we change something, we can see the immediate impact of that change as well so it lets us see how we can make small changes within ourselves that make a big difference um to the the people and relationships around us fascinating it's fascinating i think you know i've never heard of it before i've I've, you know alex was talking to me about it and i've never ever heard of kind of horse therapy i guess you know is what i have in my mind Mm. but um we wanted to kind of have you on and talk about, as we said, you know, positive mental attitude. And, you know, we want to try and help as many people as we can in this, you know, starting businesses or, um, 
you know, within the last six months, we've got a few people that have started businesses, haven't we? And mm. the struggles of maybe loneliness or mm. getting new clients or, as you say, interacting with, you know, people to network or, you know, that type of thing. So um, I guess I guess that's what we wanted to kind of talk talk about. How do you kind of keep a positive mental attitude when you're in that situation? Mm. Um, you know, and how, how would you kind of help people, I guess? It's really interesting, isn't it, because... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was flicking through LinkedIn and reading all these these posts, these messages about people saying how fantastically well they were doing <laughs> and look how great it is and I've got all this work and all these clients. And I realised that it was making me feel really bad about myself, making me feel like I was doing quite a crap job of yeah, running my yeah, yeah. business and then I stood back and I thought do you know what I know you and I know what you talk about when you're not on LinkedIn and putting yeah. on your public persona and I know that that's rubbish I know that you have struggles because you're human and mm. you're trying to run a business and be all things to all people and I think we've got into this this real habit of always having to portray the the perfect picture of of what it's like to run a business and mm-hmm. yeah. you know, be a partner and run a house, do all those different things. I think we really need to start being honest because it's actually quite damaging. And if we as adults are feeling the impact of that, it makes me just think about, you know, teenagers on TikTok and it's mm-hmm. no wonder that they have the struggles they do when yeah. all the the influencers around them are telling them about this perfect life and this perfect body and yeah. perfect outfit. Mm-hmm. It's no wonder that there's such an increase in mental ill health in mm-hmm. young people mm-hmm. because as adults, we're doing it to ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I actually saw a video on, I don't know if it's Facebook or Instagram, but this uh, this girl had all these shopping bags and um, this this other person was filming her from like a high rise and all the bags were empty. She'd had this like, this camera set up in front of her and she'd got empty bags. So all these branded bags were empty. Just and she was making just, content. Yeah, what just an amazing metaphor that is. I know. The yeah. the absolutely. shallow hollowness of the post. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, it, and we've, I don't know if we've uh, spoke about this on the podcast before, but I think Simon Sinek does a, talks really well about the generation that we've essentially created and how... Yeah. We become frustrated with them because they struggle with social interaction and they struggle with making um, real meaningful friendships with people and that kind of stuff. And yet it's us that have created mm. that environment for mm. them and made it like that. We've built this environment where we've said to kids, like, you know, you can you can be whatever you want to be when actually that's not true. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I, I find it fascinating that, you know, we've built, well, it's typical human nature, isn't it? We've built it and yet... We'll complain about the effects Absolutely, of it all the yeah. time. Yeah, and it's so, so destructive. Isn't it? We've we've convinced ourselves and you know the generations following on yeah. that having you know a hundred thousand connections on social media is mm. absolutely wonderful. Look at all these friends that I've got. Yeah. 
but we don't know the first thing about each other and really we need two or three real connections um sort of living breathing people that we can touch far more than we need that hundred thousand false connections because they're not they're not real we're energetic beings and we Mm. need we need to share that connection that comes from from our energy combining together Mm. um we we don't we don't function we can't thrive without connection i guess on that topic have you seen because as you mentioned before you're a hypnotherapist as well mm. um and you've been a therapist since did you really want to ask me that no i don't know sorry 25 years a long time i'm a child quite time um have you seen in recent years would you say then an, an increase in those people that are having to try and manage their mental health more effectively and, and seeking out things like hypnotherapy, equine therapy, coaching and that kind of stuff as a result of almost poor mental health driven by the, this environment that we've created. Definitely. Um, and it's hard to say how much of it is an actual increase and how much is an increase in our awareness and willingness mm-hmm. to speak about it. That's a good point. But I think there, there's definitely much more... Um, prevalence in terms of people looking for support Mm. whether that's because there are more people who are struggling or whether it's just more people prepared to take action I don't know and I don't know how we can ever know that Um, but I do know that things like um, dare I say it the pandemic really brought things to our head because people who pre 2020 were managing and masking their struggles having had a year locked away in their homes they then have really struggled for lots of different reasons so you know teenagers in school have really struggled to get back into school because they were they were masking their mental health challenges um other people who found that they were more comfortable working at home but then had to go back into the workplace are struggling. People who preferred to be in the workplace but were shut away at home were struggling. So it's just generated struggle on all sorts mm. of levels. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we're going to be paying the price for that mm. for many years to come. I read, I read an article where um, it said that people out of university... Who, who who kind of finished university within the pandemic years really struggled when they got back into the workplace to integrate properly into the team they weren't mm-hmm. productive they didn't know how to function in a team they because they'd been two years odds you know remote at home and they didn't have that kind of social interaction with being at home mm-hmm. in the workplace environment and so they really really struggled yeah um yeah. which is it's amazing, isn't it? I kind of find it absolutely fascinating that you know just a short amount of time and people can be affected so so much. But you know that's that's the point, isn't it? That it only takes a small amount of time mm. before then you're not okay. Yeah, and I think for me it highlights that so many of us are just walking a fine line all the yeah. time, and mm-hmm. you know it doesn't take an awful lot to tippers one way or the other off that line yeah we yeah. we talked about networking didn't we now yeah. was it second episode or so yeah and we talked about finding your people 
and you talked about having say three two or three really good connections mm. as opposed to a hundred thousand you know of these people that you have no idea about do you think that's where it starts do you think that's you know when it comes to you know starting your own business or if you're employed or just in life you know is that mm. where it kind of starts for you would you say I, I think so i mean i'm coming from the position of being somebody who's really quite shy so, okay yeah so for me having um that kind of almost a comfort blanket of, of two or three really close important people um makes a big difference mm. i i know that i need to network for example but yeah. i hate doing it so i'm always much more comfortable in a, a smaller networking group than i am in a, a room full of 100 people yeah um triggers my imposter syndrome so <laughs> i'm in yeah. those big groups yeah um but we as a as a species we just need to be connected to people yeah mm. yeah okay yeah we're, we're social beings essentially, yeah. Aren't we? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I- <laughs> I was going to ask you a question as well about hypnotherapy. Hmm. Now, you're obsessed. I, 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 well, it's <laughs> looking I, in my eyes. <laughs> not around the eyes, not around the eyes. <laughs> eyes. You're on there. I think that it's good that you made that joke, actually. Oh, it's a, okay, good. I, I, I'm always the one with I the now, jokes. I now know through networking that uh, I now know several hypnotherapists, whereas I used to know none. Um, <laughs> and I think. I can't be alone in this, and certainly for the benefit of the listeners, when you talk about hypnotherapy, the only thing that comes into my head is that I'm going to sit in a chair and I'm going to end up, you know, you're going to make me rivet and bounce around the room like a frog or some, something like that. Oh, I prefer like, the headless chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Te- television hypnosis, I think, is yeah. what, what comes to mind, or, or hypnosis for entertainment comes to mind. So how does hypnotherapy work? And... Um, I guess what what are the benefits to it? Ooh, that's lots of big questions. Yeah, there are. Should we take them one at a time. How, yeah. how how does it work? Okay, so our in a very simple way, um, our minds are divided into conscious and subconscious. There's lots of different words, but just for the purpose of this conversation. Conscious and subconscious. Mm. So the subconscious is that real core part of us that's designed to keep us safe. It's all those things that that happen without us having to think about them. It's the programs that we we run. And the conscious part of our mind is is the the more um, obviously active um, butterfly, I suppose, part of our mind. Mm. Um, the two speak a different language from each other so they don't communicate very well in our normal working state our conscious is at the forefront and is is sort of the the more present part and our subconscious is working away in the background just making sure that we don't drop off the edge of the cliff and that we feed ourselves um and and those core elements of life when we take somebody into trance we shift that so that the subconscious becomes the more prevalent part of our mind and it's not that that's something unnatural it's just part of our normal sleep and wake pattern that we go through all the time so if you're somebody who when your alarm goes off in the morning you think i'll just have five more minutes 
but before you know it, half an hour has gone by, but you know you haven't been to sleep because you've heard the birds singing and the traffic mm. and the creaking yeah. of the house. That's trance, that's hypnosis. So it's a perfectly normal part of our sleep-wake pattern. And all we're doing is taking you into that state at a time that's convenient to do some work because I could sit at the side of the bed and wait for you to just be in that. <laughs> bit creepy. Yeah, yeah. And we do the same going to sleep as well, but we, yeah. we slip through it much more quickly. Um, and um, all we're basically doing is taking you into that state so that we can communicate directly with your subconscious rather than it having the complication of your conscious trying to give you the yes but response all the time. Wow. So, so it's actually a, a really simple um, simple process, but very powerful. Mm. And in terms of, I guess, the, the benefits really on, um, there's obvious benefits around hypnotherapy and you see it everywhere for things like addiction and, mm. and that kind of stuff. But mm. with regards to improving mental health, does it, how, do, how does it play a role there? Does it play a role there? Can it play a role? I think it does in terms of um, management of anxiety, depression, etc. Um, on lots of different levels. So it can be used to give somebody tools and strategies for, for managing their own mental health and well-being. Mm. So most of my clients, for example, I'll teach... Um, simple self-hypnosis techniques and different techniques that they can use for themselves. Um, but also it can really help with some of the underlying issues that that cause anxiety and depression in the first place. Um, so, for example, if somebody has a, a programme running that's, that's unhelpful about their self-belief, then we can work to change those programmes. The important thing, I guess, for me is that you can't make somebody do something that they don't want to do. So there has to be that that initial commitment to want to make a change. It's not a magic mm. wand. Um, and, and that's where the whole stage hypnosis piece really complicates things for people. Yeah. Because most of the time the stage hypnotists aren't actually working with people in trance. It's, it's a, it is a stage show, so... Mm. They've either taken somebody off stage and worked with them to give them a um, a code word or something like that that they use that will take them into trance, or they're not in trance at all. And most of the time, they're just really good at picking people who are who are very um, susceptible to suggestion and are willing to do silly things because somebody else has given them permission to do it. So they're abdicating responsibility. Um, but most of the time, they're not in trance. Quite often, you'll see that there might be one person in trance, and that is the person who's sat on the stage appearing to be asleep. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, hypnotists don't hypnotise people in front of an audience because you don't know how many people in the audience are going into trance as well. So it's not a particularly not a particularly ethical right. way to work. I remember there was a. The power of suggestion. I remember once watching a program with Darren Brown in it, and he did a thing over TV where you were sat in a chair mm. and you had to stare at something on the screen. He said a load of stuff for a couple of minutes, and then he said, "Now stand up." 
and I couldn't get up. <laughs> the weirdest thing. <laughs> You're looking at me funny, see? No, no, no. This, I've not seen it. It was oh my word! It was the it was the strangest experience. It wore off after like a a couple of minutes, but bizarre. Some of us are much more susceptible than yeah. others, um, but there has to be that willingness to engage. Otherwise, nothing happens. Yeah. So you know, if somebody comes along to stop smoking because somebody else is nagging at them about mm. about doing it, then I would generally say, you know, I think you need to go away and think about whether you you really want to stop for yourself because I I can't make you do something if you're only coming along because somebody else has asked you to. There's quite a nice crossover there as well, isn't there, in terms of coaching, which is obviously not hypnosis, but that's exactly the same principle, right? There's got to be a willingness there for Absolutely, the, the coach yeah. you to want to change and, yeah. and develop and, and move forward. That's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And I think there is quite a crossover. Um, when I trained as a hypnotherapist, NLP was part mm. of my training. And, you know, the language we use when we're talking to ourselves and about ourselves is really powerful. And that massively steps over into coaching. Mm. Um, so, you know, for me, the, there is a big crossover. But I think I also really appreciate being able to have both that therapeutic intervention and the coaching because mm. it enables me to cover more of somebody's timeline. Mm. Um, so when I trained as a coach, we were very much, um, it was drilled into us that we're not there to unravel somebody's stuff from the past. It's very much forward looking, which is great, except that if somebody has got stuff from mm. the past, do we want to say okay we've worked really hard to build this relationship but off you go i'm not allowed to deal with that so mm. being a therapist as well as a coach i feel is a real privilege for me because it enables me to kind of step both sides of of today so you do counseling as well for for people that have past kind of mental trauma that type of thing well, as well the hypnotherapy or... and nlp side yeah um slots into okay coaching very nicely so so you know we we can work through some of the things that are holding somebody in the past yeah and and support them to move forward and again that's the same with working with the horses as well there are some people who very much specialize in sort of psychotherapy with the horses there are others who are much more focused on coaching and forward looking Whereas because I've got both the therapy and the coaching, I can go both ways. We can deal with stuff from the past, get to today, and then make a plan for moving forward. And there's that brilliant bit as well about you understanding sort of on a deeper level how the brain works as well to that extent, as well, mm. which, which I guess aids you in coaching with the types of questions and everything that you ask as well, right? So Yeah, I guess it does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I love things like um, neuroscience and emotional mm -hmm. intelligence. They all just sit so nicely together with the, yeah. the areas that I like to work in. Mm. And horses, horses are so smooth. That's what I'd like to add to this. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> That brilliant bit of content. Yeah, sorry. You're going to make a really powerful statement no, no, there or something no, really no. inspiring. No, I leave... Horses are so smooth. No, no, well, uh, I'm sorry, that's what I was thinking, actually, as you were talking. Yeah. Um, like, um, Do you mean personality-wise or the way they feel? Well, they don't... They're pretty cool, guys. <laughs> no, they're, they're just... Um, I remember, because I, I, was, I was talking to Harry, wasn't I, before, about... I, I used to do a little bit of horse riding. Oh, I don't okay. know if you knew this, but... Nice. Um, got up to a canter, but... 
Okay. Stops. We were talking I about don't this. Know what that means? But uh, carry on. Yeah. Um, uh, and I used to brush the horses sometimes. And do you know what? Like I said earlier about stroking your cat or you don't. Honestly, just brushing a horse. I don't. I don't know why, oh, but yeah. it, it it was very just very so. Good. Like I say, they were so smooth, and you'd run your hand on them on them on the mane. It was just. I'm like, it just felt really nice. I can't remember the exact numbers, but there's something about the. Um, energy field of a horse's heart that um, extends much, much further than that of a human heart. So, so there's a lot of research that says that it's it's the energy field of the horse's heart that enables us to to really connect and lower our emotional arousal levels when we're around horses and grooming horses. Oh, interesting. Obviously, that can work the other way as well. But if a horse is agitated, if something's frightened at the yeah. horse, then we will feel that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's, I th- there's so much involved in it that unless unless you do what you do and go to look into it, that we, you know, we wouldn't even think about or understand. I guess would we? No, no, I, don't I think, think so. you know, I've had the, the the benefit, the privilege, really, of being able to do a little bit with the horses at, at your place and it is it's it's i can't articulate it very well in terms of the the experience that it was but i think that's more to do with the fact that it is a, it is a an emotional level type thing mm-hmm. isn't it and mm-hmm. that's what makes it hard to articulate that mm-hmm. it, it, it is all about how it feels and, and what it does to you inside and everything but i think for a for a shout out but really for for you and what you do equine um development if you like personal development using horses just check it out be curious go and have a look at it and figure out sort of how it feels and see what it's like and especially um i want to take Carla, my wife because she's not great with horses because they're big but i think i think that's more of a reason to go to be honest because i think that it it would change your attitude and awareness towards horses but also give you all that other stuff as well it's a, a wonderful experience and and you know even somebody who is afraid of horses, there's a great learning there, isn't there? Mm. A learning opportunity. Yeah. And um, Jonathan, my husband, who was brought up to be afraid of horses because his dad was bitten when he was a child, and so he was afraid of horses. And... That hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the story that Jonathan was told. Horses are big and scary, and they mm. you know they bite you. Um, but he's absolutely amazing with with our horses, and you know loves them to bits. Sorry, Jonathan, publicly telling everybody. <laughs> uh, You'll deny all knowledge of this. I don't know yeah. what she's on about. I don't like them at all. <laughs> no. But you know, if somebody has got, if somebody is anxious and fearful around horses, there's probably something else that they're struggling with that makes them, you know, nervous or anxious or fearful. So being able to work with that anxiety that they have about the horses mm. in that safe space then equips them with the tools to look at how they can address mm. other areas that they find challenging. Mm. That's quite interesting because I think that, you know, you and I have spoke um, at length and uh, I've spoken to a few people about, you mentioned before about running a business at, at, and especially starting a new business as well. Anxiety, I, I think, plays a, a really big role in that mm. as well, especially in this current climate anxiety is potentially huge mm. it's interesting what you say there about you've got an anxiety towards horses and you go there and deal with your anxiety towards horses that might 
be helpful when it comes to dealing with anxiety in general yeah from yeah. where you go to in that so yeah maybe because it's giving you tools and strategies but it's also giving you the self-belief you know i've dealt with it i'm fine with the horses now if i can yeah. do it with the horses i can do it elsewhere it's kind of like that worst case scenario isn't it you know um i used to have a fear of not so much anymore, but I used, used to really genuinely struggle with heights. Mm. And um, it was this one time where uh, I was I was working with Vitality at the time and they said, oh, we're going to go to the, uh, the Sky Garden. Key, obviously, Key was in the name Sky. I didn't realise it was in the <laughs> But they said, we're going to go to the Sky Garden. Anyway, got to the walkie-talkie building. So I thought, oh, it's... It's got to be close to the ground because mm, that's, that's where all the soil is, right? <laughs> Not in central London, but I, anyway. So before I knew it, we were queuing up, and um, it was on like the thirty-sixth floor or something. <laughs> oh yeah, ridiculous. And um, I had no choice. We literally got there in about thirty seconds on the lift. It was mm. it was incredible, and I was there. I had no choice. It was kind of the worst case scenario. It was there. It was presented to me, and I had to just deal with it. And that was actually probably one of the best experiences to actually help me overcome my fear because I had no choice. Yeah, there was no time to think about it. Yeah. It was. It was all the worst thoughts in my mind around the lift breaking down and me plummeting to my death, or you know, the wind, you know, pulling me off the side of the building, or you know, the building just collapsing. You know, all those kind of irrational fears that you have. If you, in my mind anyway, if I thought that was the worst thing that was going to happen and it didn't happen, well, great news, you know. Um, we are great at catastrophizing, aren't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. The stories we tell ourselves, so they don't very often have positive happy you endings. Know, you, 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 so if you want to go to phobia, I'll tell you mine, because it's interesting you say that about catastrophizing. So I am also not great with heights. Oh, I hate for heights. Do you know that's the only but, fear that we're born with? Really? That's interesting. Yeah. But do you know how my fear with heights works? If I'm up high, but I'm tethered onto something, like a horse. I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> so, I could, I could, so I could abseil mm. from a great height and be absolutely fine mm. because I'm tethered to something that is solid and it's not going to move. As soon as there is a chance that something might move or there might be a gust of wind or something might happen that will involve me not being in control of plummeting to my death at the control aspect then that that does it for me so like i said i can abseil fine mm. i couldn't stand on the edge of a cliff for example and look over it i can stand on maybe stand on a, a glass floor at the top of the eiffel tower because i know it's because solid you know and it's not going to break mm. but i couldn't lean over the edge of the Eiffel Tower and look mm. down it because I might slip and I might fall and that terrifies me. The other one, which is a completely irrational theory, is a fear of owls, but I, I just can't. <laughs> I can't. Sh shut up. Twitch woo. I can't. Uh, I can't seem, to, can't seem to get past owls. You know, it's really weird. I was yeah. speaking to somebody else the other day who has an absolute phobia about owls. Yeah. It's, yeah. oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one because everyone normally gets, and, I normally get that was, reaction. She was talking about it and getting really agitated about yeah. talking about it. <laughs> talking about how people think that they vomit skeletons, but they don't. They poo skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, it, it, it's just, oh, the, 
It's the way the head moves, and it's the size on like tawny owls, especially. Like, tawny, I think it's tawny. Is it? Yeah, tawny owls are the worst. Where because they're massive. Tawny owls are really big. Like and eagle owls. Yellow are eyes. E- eagle owls are big. Yeah, I think. They, right, they got yellow eyes, which are like the devil, and then they've got these talons, <laughs> which I think would disembowel me in one fell swoop. It, they just. If there was a creature made in hell, that is it. And um, but like all birds of prey are like that. But you see, yeah, why, yes, but the, why you, owls? I don't know. I think it's the head movement that adds to it, and it's the shape. They're a weird shape. Owls, <laughs> right? They're beautiful. Like a potato. We have <laughs> a furry potato. Barn owl that flies, that kind of glides across the garden every night that's and over the over the field where the horse sits. It's just beautiful. And I, I think that's beautiful, but at the same time also quite creepy because they're a bit spectral in mm. that, where they float across yeah, with their whiteness in so that dimly, sort of creepy. And isn't gonna... that amazing that we can... I'm going to say both of us, but maybe all three of us can look at exactly the same creature and have a completely yeah. different perspective on yeah. it. Yeah. And and that's really important. Yeah. Because yeah. you know that's how we look at life. We we can all look at exactly the same scenario, the same object, the same person, and have completely different views because of our own life experiences mm-hmm. and and the filter that the filter that we have in our in our minds are you going to get two or three owls in your collection so that you can do owl therapy <laughs> I, I will not be coming to your yard again is there it, are two or three owls hold up in there is it, thank you is it just real owls yes oh, okay i'm not scared of fake owls I was gonna say, that would, I was that gonna would say, be bizarre well some people have like um like tattoos of owls don't they like jody's got a tattoo of an owl or uh, people buy owl stuff it's a big thing isn't it owl stuff at the minute <laughs> It's cuddly owl. Yeah, like owls. Mm. I don't know if it's like uh, the Harry Potter revolution of owls. I don't know. Maybe it was that. But like you see owls everywhere. Well, I do anyway. Um, in like, I don't know, dishcloths and cushions. And... <laughs> most common, that's the most common bird in Lancashire, that, isn't it? The, uh, the tea towels. <laughs> Oh, that's one. That's that one. Whole conversation lined up. Really? Oh, yeah. to, to a you know no, it wasn't. I just. That's... You know what? You opened a door, and I just couldn't help but go through it. That's one for Alex Curtis. He was upset. Yes. He was upset. Yes. There was no dad jokes. The dad joke king. There you go. There's there's one special special dad joke for you. Um, but weirdly, that has just unlocked a memory that you said that between the two of you. Ooh. And I wonder if this is starting to unlock where. A favourite owls come from. I think it was my grandma had a stuffed owl, like a proper life-size, like not an actual, not like a taxidermy one. Right. It was like a cuddly toy, but it was an owl. I should point out, nothing bad happened with me and my grandma or anything like that. It it, it, it was fine. But I just randomly had a memory of that existing. And uh, my dad until had, now, it's never come to mind. My dad has a taxidermy owl. Your dad's got a, a, a garage of things. taxidermy insect, yeah. which is bizarre. Well, if you but, if you want, uh, maybe maybe I can take this challenge on, Heidi. Maybe I can be the one that will help with your fear of owls. Maybe you come to mum and dad's. Be helped. Then. Well, that, that's, the point. that's the key point. That's, that's the key. Has got to be there. That's that the, that, that is, would be one less thing for him to. That's it. Yeah, you can't. Talk about yeah, you've got to come willingly. Yeah. And the yeah. problem is, owls are not such a large factor in my life that I feel like I need to do something about it. 
if I had a phobia of cats, I'd probably do something about it because I've got a cat. Yeah. But, but if you had a phobia of cats, you probably wouldn't have one. Well, this is true. Not <laughs> wishing the day is <laughs> Also, yes, and cats are everywhere. You see them all around in the day. So even if I didn't have one, they're like, they'd be out the front and I'd, I'd spend the majority of my time in abject fear. Mm. So I probably would do something like then. I will come out at night. I'm not normally around at night. Although we do get a bit touchy when you're out at night and you hear that. <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous. And for those of you that obviously didn't see that because it's recorded, that was a weird little flinch that I did at that noise. But uh, right, anyway, we're at uh, around about about forty minutes. So weirdly, that's the the time is gone. Wow. Somehow. Um, but thank you very much for coming on. It's, it's, my pleasure. it's been fascinating to talk to you, but I do I feel like we've only just scratched the surface. So really. do I as well. Yeah. But I know that I could sit and talk for hours and hours. Well that means that, that definitely means we need to get you back. You need to come again. I think. Mm. I think the key takeaway though is you can only help somebody if they want to be helped themselves. Yeah, and I think that regardless of anything. Yeah. And and I think that would be as I was driving down coming to talk to you, I was thinking about responsibility for mm. wanting to make change. And yes, there's a, a collective responsibility for us to look after mental health and well-being, but ultimately it has to come from ourselves and we have to have that willingness and that responsibility for ourselves as an individual as well. Otherwise, nothing anybody else can do. No policy that anybody puts in place is ever going to make any difference. You've got to want to make that change yourself. That sounds like a, a perfect note to end on uh, for us, Heidi. Heidi, tell us quickly, where can people um, get in touch with you or contact you about the things that you do, about everything equine, hypno and coaching? Oh, <laughs> all the usual channels, but um, everything all in one place would be on our website, which is glint.org.uk. So lovely, easy one to remember as well, isn't it? Yes. glint.org.uk. G-L-I-N-T. That's the one. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye, everybody. See ya.